All right, Josh Smith here again at my studio live from Flat 5, and today I'm talking to a really good friend of mine and a great guitar player. He's here in Los Angeles, California. We've been friends for a few years. Uh, he's a certified guitar nerd like me and like everybody else. He lives, breathes, sleeps guitar, um, and he's an incredible player. He's played with a lot of great artists, does a lot of sessions, knows all the gear that's happening in the world. And uh, he just recently toured with Jackson Brown last year, which is exciting. And Jackson's one of my favorite artists, and, and that's a band with a lot of my friends in that band. So, dude, you're just one of my favorite players, and, and you're a great guy. It's a pleasure to have you. Mason Stoops, everybody. Man, thank you, Josh. I appreciate the intro. Oh, dude, of course, man. Uh, you know, so it's been interesting talking to all my friends and kind of finding out their path you know, to, to the instrument, and some had parents that played, some didn't, some had big brothers that played, some was completely random, you know. Um, I'm curious, you know, how the guitar ended up in your hands to begin with. What was the, the initial spark? It was funny. I, uh, I didn't really grow up in a, a musical family. My dad raced cars, and my, I don't, my mom uh, was just a really great mom for us, and, uh, I, I, there was a piano in the house, I remember that much, but otherwise, guitar didn't really hit me until maybe 8th or ninth grade, and an art teacher who would get me into, you know, he'd be playing music in the classroom, and then immediately afterwards, he would uh, give me a sticky note with different bands that we'd listen to, and that was, uh, that was my first kind of intro into music, and so after a while of that, I was like, alright, I really want to really want to play, and a lot of that stuff early on, what got me going was like Fugazi, and Green Day and, and a lot of punk bands just because of this teacher, but I decided at one point I wanted to play bass guitar. It's like that's uh -huh. I there was a, a solo that I'd heard on a record and I was convinced it was a bass solo. So I asked my mom for a bass guitar, and um, she didn't know what that was. <laughs> so I, uh, Christmas morning I got a, a red like fake like Chinese like Strat copy. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't, you know, you can, what are you supposed to say? You can't be like, wow, this is really, you know, you're two strings away, you know. Yeah. But, <laughs> so I didn't want to say anything. It's like, all right, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll play guitar. But, but I, um, you know, going up to that point, I, I like drawing a lot. I, I had a lot of things I was kind of semi-interested in, but there was this moment when I came down, I woke up before everybody uh, that Christmas morning and I, I saw the guitar and I held it there. And I remember putting my fingers... I'd never even really held one before, but like putting them directly on the frets, thinking that was how you're supposed to, man, this is hard. But I went back to bed, no one else was awake, but it was like, this this just like electricity had gone through me. It's like, I'm going to be a guitar player now. Like it just was so clear. It was like so, I was so sure of it. And it's just kind of, it's felt like that ever since. That, that feeling's never gone away, but it was there instantly. And so that's that's kind of how the guitar came into my life. And it hasn't gone away since. And how old were you that year? What was the what year was that? I think I was 13 years old. I was born in 91. So okay. Yeah. What year? I don't. The math, you know. Yeah. Out, <laughs> yeah. And what's well, been interesting talking to guys older than me, same generation as me, and then younger guys than me, a lot of commonalities come out between the generations. And one I've heard from guys your generation is Green Day has been really important, actually, with Huge. a lot of people from your generation, Huge. which is, I understand it. Like, I get it, you know? It's very, but it's cool to hear coming from a lot of different people. 
No, it's it's it's. It, it, I'm, I'm glad you said that because it, it, that has been a uniting front where I think everyone wants to play cool for a while, and you know, especially when you first meet, you know, a few other guitar players, you might talk about pickups, you might talk about, you know, you'll say all the right things, and at some point, someone will bring up Green Day, and it's like this sigh of relief. So everyone's like, oh yes, I love Green Day, and yeah. Billy Joe Armstrong was, yeah, he was my my first guitar hero. I mean, that's just what. The idea that 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 image in my mind of, of you know that music and that sound with him on stage and that Les Paul Jr. or that early Strat that was covered in yeah. you know stickers. I mean that was it for me. It was like guitar is cool. That confirmed it. Absolutely, man. So okay, so so then what was next? Did they get you a book? Did they take you for lessons, or did you just, did you just start figuring stuff out? I mostly started figuring stuff stuff out. I was obsessed. I I mean I I spent I mean like I think any of us it was just this immediate life transformation where every minute my of my time went into practicing and playing and learning and listening to, to records and, and playing along to them and finally I think a year into it my mom was like if you really want to take this seriously like, you have to get a guitar teacher so I started going to this guy named Adam Speth who was a session player back in the 60s and really great guy always he had to have a joke every time he came in the studio ready for him because he, he, he expected a joke and um He's who got me, I, I give him so much credit for kind of setting me on the path that led to where I am now musically. Because so I would get to my lessons early and I would hear him in his studio giving another lesson. And it sounded like there's two or three guitars going on. I couldn't, and I'd never heard that before. And so I was sure that there was multiple people in there. But, it, but what he was doing was like Travis picking, Chet Atkins, you know, Jerry Reed, that style of playing and I'd never heard of that and he's who kind of got me onto that and that was my that was kind of the beginning of you know the first when the snowball got pushed off the the side of the mountain and um, so Adams who kind of set me on the finger style path you know him and being super into Mark Knopfler which I got into right. relatively quickly after picking up the guitar and what kind of music did your parents listen to in the house was that an influence or were you on your own it's funny, I mean, my dad listened to a lot of, we had some Mark Knopfler solo albums, there was some Paul Simon, it was a lot of Elton John, mm -hmm. a lot of Celine Dion, okay. a lot of Billy Joel, so songwriters, you know, Yeah. Um, and, but Dire Straits didn't really enter my life well after I had gotten into Mark Knopfler as a solo artist, and so it took me a while to realize, like, so why do people keep bringing up Dire Straits, this like random band, when I told them that I really like Mark Knopfler? Because to me, he was <laughs> a totally different yeah. guy. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. Okay, so so you're taking lessons. Yeah. I'm assuming you progressed fast like all of us because you're obsessed. You're spending yeah. every waking minute playing guitar. And, you know, and we love it. And, you're, you you know, it, it it's becomes the main thing. School kind of goes to the side. Everything else yeah. goes to the side. And so when does the, the next transition happen? Like, when do you start maybe making music with friends? Does a, does a garage band happen or do you start playing? You know, what's the next situation? I think, you know, guitar, I, it, had, it had taken over my life to the point that I'd I transferred into this classical guitar program at the high school I went to. Um, they just—I was studying film and television the year before. I went to this school, this Orange County High School of the Arts, which is this charter school in uh, downtown Santa Ana. 
and uh, but originally I'd, I'd gone there for drawing and then I switched to film and television but at that same time is when I picked up the guitar and it was actually a film teacher there who handed me the flyer for a gu the guitar program that was coming out the next year because I spent every day in the back of the classroom just I had this one acoustic guitar that would take me to school every day wow. and he was kind of like you might want to consider <laughs> leaving this film program because you you know he was he, he meant well but it was Right. Um, yeah, so he, he kind of pushed me into the classical guitar program, and I'd never played classical or really knew anything about it, but I was very lucky to have the, a teacher in that program, this, uh, Vasil Chikardzikov, who's an, uh, one of three famous brothers from Bulgaria, famous classical guitar players. They're in a group called Triada, and they uh, left their fame in Bulgaria to uh, play music in the U.S., and he was my teacher. and really inspired me and pushed me to keep playing. Um, I remember it was through him that I found out what a session player even was. Like, because I just, I'd already decided, I mean, we're, th we're talking like 11th grade, 12th grade now. I definitely decided that I wanted to be, that I was going to be a guitar player. Like, that's, that's, that conversation's over. Right. But I didn't know that there was such a thing as a session musician, like, you know, and I remember the day that he kind of explained it to me that like there's guys who go out and they go into the studios and they record on people's songs and that was kind of cool and I kind of put that in the back of my, my mind but I think it was around the time that it might get loud I don't know if you saw that movie or you watched yeah, it absolutely. Times, like yeah. I did <laughs> but seeing Jimmy Page on the big screen with this Les Paul there's that one scene where it's just him and the Les Paul plugged into mm -hmm. these big Rickenbacker amps and um I had worked in this record in this shop called Pepperland Music, and I was so I, I was around a lot of good music and old records, and but Zeppelin hadn't really hit me yet. And after that movie, I got in my car and put on Zeppelin One, and that was kind of the moment of like, okay, I want to be in a band. And I so me and my friends started trying to put together different bands and trying to do Zeppelin covers, uh, trying to do anything that I could to sound like Jimmy Page. Um, and, you know, I liked that Jimmy Page was kind of also a tinkerer and, you know, I grew up oh, taking yeah. things apart and, and putting them back together and, you know, working on cars with my dad and my grandpa. And that's part of the, I think that was also the appeal to the electric guitar because it was like, man, you could, it made sense to me, screws and knobs and, and, and bolts and it's like, this is, you know, you could really hot rod these things and, and seeing someone who I really idolize like Jimmy Page being really into you know, the, the different tricks he would do to his guitars and taking covers off of pickups or adding different switches and the stuff he would do in the studio. It just, that kind of, the connection of those two worlds kind of made sense to me. So, I don't know. But as far as, like, the next step, I knew I wanted to go and keep playing guitar. I'd had a few punk bands that I tried to, you know, make happen when you're 16 or 17. And uh, at some point, I decided I wanted to go to Berkeley College of Music. And, uh, but, you know, I needed a scholarship. I needed some way to, to make it happen, but I didn't end up going. I left high school early mm -hmm. uh, in senior year. And that was actually, this is a, a great tangent because I left because of like a real, I was in a, I was sad because of a girl, girlfriend who had left me. It's like, I don't want to be in school anymore. I just want to travel and play guitar. So I, I, left school and that very next January was my first NAM. That music store I worked at, that music shop got me a NAM pass. 
So I went from being sad and feeling alone like any teenager would to walking into the doors of NAMM, which I had no idea what I was getting in for. And you were one of the few guitar players I know, and, and we've talked about this a lot, that we love NAMM. Yeah. And the people and the and just the energy and, and just the new things every year, and that was my first experience of it. And it was at NAMM that I met so many pedal companies and gear companies for the first time. And this was maybe 2009, so a lot of the major pedal companies weren't even there yet. But right. um, that energized me and I felt like I'd met this new family of people who were just like me and loved gear and loved guitar and it was through those experiences that I started doing demos at NAMM and then I met Jamie and Julia Earthquaker who I owe so much to for uh, what I have now really comes from what I learned from them they would fly me around with them to different parts of the country to uh, demo their pedals for different guitar stores and guitar center and then at some point they asked me if I wanted to demo for different producers around LA um, so that you know they were trying to get their pedals in studios and in producers hands and so I started right. meeting a lot of producers in LA and through that kind of is where the momentum started for my session career and uh, but it all came from NAMM it all came from being sad about an ex-girlfriend and going to NAMM yeah well I mean, guitar players and, and just the L.A., you know, professional musician community has a very jaded point of view when it comes to Nam. Oh, man, I'm going only one day for a couple hours, shake the hands I need to shake and I'm fucking out of there, you know, and I've always been the opposite of that. And it because it's because, number one, I, I just love this stuff. But number two, my first experience was similar. I went when I was 13 for the first time as a bar yeah. mitzvah gift, you know, and it was like mind-blowing to me that i could be in in this giant place and pick up any guitar in the world almost at least yeah. it felt that way as a kid and then the next thing i knew i bump into steve morris in line for the bathroom and then you know of course we'd bump into stevie wonder because you can't not see stevie wonder at now <laughs> and you'd bump into whoever you know and it was like as a 13 year old this is the greatest thing on exactly. earth yeah and i've never lost that feeling about nam but I was I was going to ask you, uh, your classical guitar teacher in school, yeah. it's really awesome that he was open enough to at least like share with you the possibilities available to you as a working guitar player. Because, you know, a lot of classical teachers kind of poo-poo anything that is not in their purview, you know? So yeah, yeah. You, were, you were lucky to have that kind Extremely of lucky. experience. Yeah. Yeah, he, um, you know, I wasn't a traditional classical player. I mean, I was so new to it. And especially, I'd only been playing for a couple of years when I auditioned for the program. And, you know, after my audition, he came and told my mom, he's like, you know, he's, he's a little rough, but like, you know, the passion is there and the talent is there. And he gave me a shot. And he always uh, really encouraged us to, you know, be ourselves, be, you know, be the best we can. But, you know, he wasn't a stickler in, in, in ways that he probably should have been, or at least most, like you said, most classical teachers are. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I couldn't grow my nails out without biting them. And, and, you know, I had this half classical, half Travis picking right hand that I yeah. could never quite get a grip on. And, and he was okay with that. He really embraced um, me and, and the music that I liked and really encouraged that. And, and I, I, I really do feel strongly that if I wasn't as lucky as I was to have a teacher like him who was as open-minded as he was, I probably would have just burnt out. Yeah. And so it really, you know, the relationships he built 
along the way are, are so crucial and, and that's you know like just going back to Nam, the people you meet and, and the friends you make there it's like that's real to me i owe, oh, dude, I owe it, a lot of stuff to that the initial way that something gets presented to you is so responsible for the way that you take that into your life so it's 100%. like i remember clearly the first time i had jazz presented to me it was by like jazz snobs who were looking down on my love of blues and so that influenced me for a, a great while to be like fuck jazz you know like i, yeah. I don't want to play that bullshit you know and, and and it wasn't until a nicer person sat me down and said you know as a 13 year old hey you're already doing some of this stuff let me show you the you know what you're doing there and explain this to you and let me show you what you know what miles davis is doing on a blues you know and and it was like oh this is really cool but it, it is that the the initial way that Contact. you meet something is directly responsible for how you bring it into your life no it's so true yeah how something is presented you know and and and, and the way it's presented who's telling it to you and how you feel about them. There's so many variables that could long-term affect your perception of these things. And, Absolutely. You know, Hell, I, if your mom had bought you a bass, you, you might be Jaco Pastorius right now, and we wouldn't even be having this conversation. That's true. It's 100% true. It's, I love it, though. It, those <laughs> variables. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's what makes us all unique and, you know, makes everybody's pathway different. So when you decided to leave school, yeah. And then also decided not to go to Berkeley or to, to uh, go to college for music. Were your parents freaking out? Kind of. Um, I did go to Fullerton College for uh, almost a whole semester. Okay. That was There's an applied music program there ran by a professor named Joe Jewell. He's a monster guitar player. Yeah, yeah. A very intimidating guy. And so at the time that I went to Fullerton, I was still telling my parents and also kind of myself that like, no, I'll, I'll make college work. I'll figure it out. You know, I, I and um, Joe and I butted heads in, in, more, in, in just too many ways. And, and I got into that program because of a recommendation by my classical teacher, Vasile. Okay. But, uh, but Joe is one of these guys, you know, all respect to him, we're friends now, but at the time he was definitely like kind of a traditionalist and I would show up to a private lesson having transcribed a West Montgomery solo the night before and we'll go to start playing and, and he'll stop me and say, well, where's your pick? You know, I said, well, I don't, I can't use a pick. I can't, I, I still can't really use a pick today. <laughs> and he, he wouldn't even let me, uh, you know, play because I, I didn't, I didn't learn it with a pick, but West Montgomery used his thumb, so I've got... Yeah four times the advantage on that guy I thought but um it was after it was in that period of time that I was still figuring out how to get to Berkeley what am I going to do with college that I got through a, a weird almost Craigslist kind of website I got offered a gig up in LA uh for a Sony Records artist who at the time was kind of more of a country thing and now she's a, a much larger and successful pop artist but they needed an auxiliary player and they'd asked me you know, they'd seen some YouTube videos of some video demos I'd done for Eastwood guitars. You know, everything comes back to Nam, but yeah. Um, and I had been playing this kind of Dobro style guitar, and I I played a banjoish thing. And they're like, we need an auxiliary player who's young, and um, would you be interested in coming and auditioning? It's like absolutely, but I didn't really play banjo. So when I came to the audition, I said, man, you know, you'll never guess what happened. I was loading up my car. And I dropped the banjo, and I, you know, I just couldn't bring it. But I did bring my, you know, resonator, which kind of sounds like a, uh, 
a banjo. Like, okay, that's fine. I really wanted that gig. I really wanted a real gig. My, you know, the advice of my Berkeley representative who was trying to figure out how to get me in there when I told her that I had this opportunity with this artist and this gig, she was like, take the gig. You're going to go to Berkeley, you're going to learn music for four years, and then you're going to probably go back to L.A. and try to get that gig that you got offered right now. Take it. If it doesn't pan out, you could always go back to school. Right. So I listened to her, and that was my first experience, both on a professional gig and my first experience playing with really incredible professional musicians. And I remember how intimidating I intimidated I was the first day and then a week later how much better I felt at guitar just from learning from people who were better than me and yeah. playing with people who are better than you and that, and that made me realize how important it is to try to stay the worst player in the band because you, yeah, you yeah. just learn quick yeah I mean fear is the best motivator being the, being the guy in the room that everybody thinks is going to fuck up the least experienced cat you you make sure that you don't drop the ball or otherwise maybe this business isn't right for you but yeah. I, I remember being in those rooms my whole life as the young guy full of you know a room of amazing musicians and not wanting to let them down basically or embarrass myself quite honestly yeah there's, there's no you know uh there there is no you know whatever there's no thing that gives you more experience than that, those situations, being around better musicians and real-world practical application. So I mean, you spent a week, you felt like a better guitar player. It works that fast. It does. It really does. Yeah. And it's important to, to keep pushing yourselves into those environments because you meet new people, you you're, you pick up on little things, just little cues that I think as, you know, now 10 years, 12 years later, you know, we take for granted. We all know how to end a tune. We all know how to you know, follow the pocket, you know, or, or it's something we've, you know, gotten better at. I'm certainly always trying to get better at it, but those initial things that they don't teach you in music school or they don't even really talk about as how to really play with the band, how to, you know, be dynamic, how to sit in the mix. Like, you you have to learn those from experience, and so I'm really thankful for those experiences that kicked my ass. Yep, yep. Any, whenever anybody asks me what's the best thing I could do to get better, it's like, well, dude, take every gig you can possibly take. Yeah. It's like nothing grows you quicker than being on a job. Nothing. There's there's no substitute. Yeah, it was from there, the bass player in that band asked me if I had played country music at all. And I, I lied and I said, totally, I play country music all the time. Right. Great, we've got this country cover band and we, you know, our guitar player dropped out and, and we need one. And, and would you want to come audition? I said, sure. And I, you know, like you said, those those situations, you know, here I've just put myself in this situation where I have to learn 40-something country tunes. I've never played country right. music in my life. But I learned the shit out of those songs, and I, I worked hard to get that audition. And it was from that opportunity that I started playing in this country band. And we would play every weekend around uh, down in Riverside. You know, it, it was, we'd do two four-hour sets. It was yep. People could line dance, and it was so much work, and it was so much soloing. It was, and you know, I'm so thankful for it. Talk about something else that like I fell into and, and, and owe a lot to because country. I mean, it's the most guitar-driven music I think that's still on the radio. Like, it's all about the rhythm guitar. It's all about. I mean, Brent Mason, just the stuff that he can put on a record. Tom Bukovac, those guys, yep. learning their riffs and and those solos and and having to perform those every night. You know, I. Um, 
I learned a lot quickly from doing those country gigs, and but I needed a telly, and that's kind of where this I, I, this telly comes from because I bought it a couple years before from a guy in uh, Brea, California, and it was just a normal white telly. I think I paid seven hundred bucks for it, and then in trying to modify it, I um, I cut through a wire on accident, and I felt really bad. I didn't know enough about guitars, so I it kind of sat apart for a couple years. The body was the base to my drill press for like a year and a half and I, I lost the original neck and but when I started doing those country gigs and they're like hey you should probably get a Telecaster I was like I have most of a Telecaster somewhere <laughs> yeah I put this guitar back together and, and it's been my main guitar ever since yep but that came from those country gigs which came from that weird pop gig which came from going to NAMM so yeah well I mean and that's the way it works as a working musician I mean you have to be open to every opportunity not turn anything down and then really grab it when it's presented to you yeah. you know and you don't know where it's going to end up but i mean i mean it's difficult enough to make a living doing this so you have to just go the way it goes yeah i'm still going i think i'm still trying to go the way it goes yeah exactly yeah dude the telecaster i mean it was the same for me i was a strat guy my whole life and i had a gig that required Telecaster, and I had ordered a, an Esquire, actually, a Pine Body Esquire, because I had played, like, the Fender Limited Edition Esquire prototype, like the 50 reissue, the Snake Headstock Pine Body, and I wanted that, so I had ordered that. I'd had tellies over the years and sold them, and anyways, this gig came along, and I needed a telly fast, and the person who I'd ordered this from, the Esquire, I just told him, dude, I need it to be a telly instead. Do you have a, a regular telly body? And he goes, uh, the only one I have is Ash. And I said, that's fine. Just, <laughs> just get it to me as fast as possible. He said, well, it had to be a solid color. And he sprayed it black, and it was like, you know, as fast as he could put a guitar together. And it was like, yeah, that changed my life overnight when I got this guitar because I was never a telly guy before that. Man, yeah. being I mean, it's funny because talking to you about tellies now it was a premier guitar article that came out about you mm -hmm. it was around the same time that i was getting really into telecasters and i saw your black telly in, in the article and i was like well that's cool yeah. i want like you know and and you were one of my favorite players at the time and, and so i wanted to i wanted to tell you like yours but it's like but it has to be a little it has to be different so i figured the opposite colors were kind of <laughs> yeah, that's funny up. Dude, well, I was I was just in denial, I think, of of the telly most of my life. I knew I, I knew it was right for me, and I kept putting it off until it just was so clear. I, okay, yes, I'm a Telecaster guy, you know. But it took I, it's prodding. You know? it's, I'm still. I, 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 it's funny because I was I was watching one of your Instagram uh, live videos the other night, and someone had asked this question like, "Do you ever?" They're asking like, is it your main guitar? Do you have multiple guitars? And I remember because I, you know, I'm at a point with this guitar that, like, we're married now and it's a really healthy relationship and I'm happy. But there used to be times where it's like I felt like a couple months a year it's like we didn't get along and I would pick uh -huh. it up and it didn't really feel right. And it's like maybe I'm not a telly guy. Maybe I want something else. And and I, even now, like, I've still sometimes fantasize. Maybe I want a 335 kind of thing. Maybe I, you know, I'll see Adam Levy play and I'll be like, yeah, a 335. Right. But then you go back to the telly, and it just—it's so um, solid, and, and it just feels so reassuring. And it, 
there's there's just something really special about the simplicity of them that I'm just trying to embrace and it's, accept. They're they're magic, man. There's no guitar. It's two things for me. Number one, there's no guitar that I can take to literally any scenario. It could yeah. be a straight ahead jazz gig, a country gig, a rock gig, a blues gig, soul, R&B, whatever, and I'll be fine. No worries. Yeah. I'm not scared of any gig with my Telecaster. Can't say that about literally any other guitar. And the other thing is, on this guitar, I sound like me no matter what. There's no thinking. There's, a, there's no disconnect between my brain and my hands. When I play any other guitar, there's all these outside factors. When I pick up a Strat, it's Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan are screaming at me. When I pick yeah. up a 335, B.B. King and Larry Carlton are screaming at me. You know, it's like they make me think of certain things. And this guitar, there's no thinking involved. And I mean, that's so, it, yeah, it's, it's those two things. Now, now, do you think that comes from your relationship with that telly specifically? Or is it a broad, you know, you think all Telecasters have that appeal? I don't know. I mean, this one is responsible for me thinking that way. But now, I mean, just to be honest, okay, so now I have, in January, I have a signature guitar coming out with a really big company that I've been working on for like two years. And I can't say what it is yet, and it's driving me crazy. But it's a Telecaster, of course, the style of the guitar, yeah. because that's what I consider my home, you know? So that's all I can say about it. It could have been whatever I wanted. They would have, it would have, could have been anything. But yeah. that's, you know, that's where my home lies now, without question. Man, I'm excited. I'm excited for that guitar. Oh, dude, I'm I'm so excited, and I'm I've mentioned it now like a couple times like this and a few things, and people are starting to message me like crazy. What's the deal? And I I can't say anything, so it's like yeah, that's cool. Well, well deserved. Thanks, man. All right, so then okay, now you're a working musician. Yeah. You're you're playing country gigs. You're playing with pop artists. You're doing demos all the time. When do you start to feel like you find a, you know, like a groove and, and settle into like your lane as a player and all that? Man, I'll let you know when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's like always a process. It I is. do remember, um, you know, there's just a, a, a like the, there's an appeal to the idea of like finding your sound and finding your lane on the guitar. And it's been tough because through, these different worlds that I, I've come from, from like the early finger style Chet and Mississippi John Hurt world, which we, we could talk about those early blues players for hours and hours. Like those guys are my heroes. But at the same time, like I got into pedals and, and, and this other side of guitar through all my NAM friends and, and, and so many incredible artists. Uh, Nick Reinhardt's a huge influence on me, what he does with pedals. And, and and so I've always been between these two worlds, and even now I've got one band with Adam Levy called Kibby Dango. We released mm -hmm. the record last year, and it's yeah. just two guitars. There's nothing uh, fancier than that, two guitars and microphone. And then a year before that, I did that. I did a pickup jazz show where I turned a whole, this early 1900s house into one big amplifier. It took like 18 amps to do it. So. Yep. All higher frequency amps were upstairs. There's a subwoofer down below in the basement, and like different amps in the dining room, living room, and you know, the dining room was more of like a delay centric sound. And I could control things and move them to different rooms of the house. And it was this very avant garde and, and super kind of over the top concept thing. And so 
anytime I lean into one lane or I think I'm doing a country thing, something will come up the other direction that pulls me that way. And then I'll, you know, I was talking to Joe Bonamassa. He's always encouraged me to do like a fingerstyle, just like do a fingerstyle blues record. Like no one, you know, who, who wouldn't love that? Right. As soon as I think about maybe doing that, I, you know, some new pedal will come out. It's like, oh man, I don't know. Maybe I want to. <laughs> so I'm still finding my lane. I think yeah. I'm still. And um, but it was after that those country gigs that I did feel like I had kind of a voice on the guitar. Where if it came time to solo, I had left the period of emulating my heroes, and kind of stepped into this new sound of forgetting and remembering certain combinations of all of them into my playing and that's something that I think it was uh, Steve Jordan who talked to me or not to me I heard him talk about the idea that like it's a your sound is a combination of what you remember but it's equally a combination of what you forget you know and and if you go and transcribe something note for note you know six months later you'll still have the little tidbits that really stood out you might not remember every individual note, but it's those kind of the few things you take away from that that go into the next thing you learn, and then the, the few elements of that go into the next thing you learn. So, yeah, yeah, you have to you have to do the the work, honor those heroes, like build them up in your mind, learn all you can, and then like kind of just disregard it when it comes time to step out on stage and be yourself. Yeah, because you know that the essence is going to come through no matter what, because you've you love it. You know, you love them and you love what they've given you, but you have to let it go, at least to the point of where it's not at the forefront of your thought when you're playing. Yeah. yeah. I go I ride that wave. Sometimes I think I'm there and then sometimes I'm I'm deep somewhere else learning something or feeling like I should be learning something. So Yeah. You know. But it was I'd definitely gotten a lot of country chops. I'd gotten a lot of, you know, I could play a lot faster than I used to be able to. And that led to right kind of doing more sessions in LA, meeting more friends. I started working with Tony Berg up at Sound City a few years back. Um, I think I met him through Blake Mills and he you know, talking about another person who's unreal guitar and, and he's a super huge influence on me. But um, it it all starts to blur together. I just know you know there's a while of a, I was on retainer with a pop pop gig. That was like two or three years of my life. That was music directing is very different thing and that was a great experience but that kind of took me away from making music and took me away from being creative because I was playing the same 12 songs every night on tour right. for two years and that was a that was a big moment for me when I got off of that gig to decide that all right I don't think I want to be the pop touring guitar player guy you yeah know? which is all I mean that's always a a decision and an, you know there's there's this moment where you want to be a working guitar player you want to make a living um but you have to make a choice at some point are you just this guy who's a chameleon who doesn't have personality and maybe works all the time or are you just you and if you exactly. get work in those worlds it's because they like you and what you do so maybe you won't get as many phone calls but they will certainly be more gratifying but that's a tough decision because sometimes you just want the work, you know, yeah. so it's, it's tough. Yeah. And you and you ride that, that's another wave you ride because once you make that decision, you know, there's going to be those dry months 
Oh, yes. Long. Oh, yes. And Four you years. Yeah. Four and years. You have a lot of time to think about that decision you made, but yeah. I never regretted it. I, I, I did a lot of pop touring. I did a lot of that thing, that chameleon guitar work where you're half a guitar player and, and half a prop, you know, and, and yep. you know, yep. and no disrespect to it. I have so many great friends that just destroy that world. Like they're amazing at it and they can do things on guitar that I, I certainly can't. But I came off of the, the the last one of those kinds of gigs really feeling like I just, there was more to learn with the guitar. There's more to say with the guitar. And I just knew I wasn't happy. I knew it wasn't for me to be that guy and that there were guys who did love it and do love it. So they should, you know, they should be on those gigs. So I started turning yeah. those down and, you know, and then the phone stopped ringing, like you said, because it's like, all right, you're not going to do it. So like, it, I had, and then I had a lot of time to think about if that was the right call, but it was from those decisions that I had time to develop some other projects. I did a shadows cover band for <laughs> a year where we just, just absolutely tried to nail part for part, like the sounds and the songs and, learn you know talk about a learning experience you know hank marvin's one of the earliest and first guitar heroes and oh yes you would think i certainly thought going into it that well it's pretty simple straightforward surf guitar uh you know everyone knows this but it's actually it's so melodically driven there's no room for error there's no room for uh you know you can't really improvise um and but it was at one of the jackson brown came to one of those shows and we had kind of met a couple times before through Gabriel at Echo Park Guitars. Mm -hmm. And um, I played a show, a Christmas kind of show with this artist, Zberg, And he was a guest artist for that. And we talked about it, kind of talked. We would always tell, you know, Jackson's a huge gear nerd more than oh, anybody yes, he realizes. Is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And I certainly didn't know. And our relationship leading up to when he came to that Shadow show was, he might text me or I might text him, but either way, around two in the morning, a reverb link would pop up on one of our phones and say, hey, do you think this is cool? And I'd be like, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. And then he'd buy it. And that was our relationship, sending weird Japanese guitars back and forth to each other at like in the <laughs> middle of the night. And, uh, but he, he came to a shadow show and it was from there that we kind of talked about maybe, you know, we should work on some songs together maybe put together some kind of duo set and then a month after that kind of talking about that he was like you should you should just be in the in my band for this tour yeah <laughs> i said yes absolutely i would like that <laughs> so, well it's yeah. funny man i've you know I'd, i've only played with jackson once and i don't know i wouldn't say i know jackson but so many of my friends have played with him over the years and I'm an enormous fan. My parents love Jackson Brown. Some of my first concerts, actually, as a child, were Jackson Brown concerts. We would okay. always go when he would come to South Florida. And then, you know, so Jeff Young, I played with Jeff Young for 20 years now, you know, and, and Val and, and Mark Goldenberg. And, I mean, these are all my friends, you know. So it's been interesting. Yeah, I've, I've been in places where Jackson's been there. And we ended up playing together one time with Jeff at a gig somewhere on a few songs and but yeah, I'm I'm such a huge fan. I was so happy when you got in there and did that tour, man. And actually, literally in the last three days now, I've interviewed Mark Goldenberg, Val, and now you in a row. No kidding. Yeah. Man, those, those are two of my heroes. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, it's a fun gig, man. It's a good chair to be in. 
I, 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 I talk about learning a lot and being the worst player in the band. I mean, I, I, that's, that was as good of a spot as I could have had. Oh, man, just getting to play those songs is just, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy. You know, they're so great. Did you, uh, the, I, the, some, the word semi gotten out, the, the, the incident on the first night of the tour. Uh, where I think I heard something about it. Where, uh, yeah, I, you know, we had no rehearsals at all with the full. We had well, there was two kind of full band rehearsals, but we don't have a set list. We don't have like it took months of back and forth with Jackson to get even a few songs kind of sorted out. Like, should I learn these? I ended up just learning all of them as best yeah. as I could. And um, but the first night of of tour in my first show I couldn't be more uh, anxious and they bring out the set list and they hand it to me first I'm like okay cool it's about 10 12 songs on here I know eight of these that's pretty those are good odds that's fine I'm good with yeah. that so I take it back to the guys in the green room and it's Jeff Young it's Greg Lees uh, it's Fritz Luwak and Bob Glob yeah and um, say hey here's the set list for the night like it's gonna be a good show and then I think it's Bob that says, "Oh, cool! Is that the first set or the second set?" <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I was like, "Yeah, well, you know, we don't have an opener, so Jackson will take the first set. We'll play that, and then we take a break, and then we do the full set after that. And that's like a two-hour show. No one had told this to me. And then the show almost got canceled because of weather, but the Jackson demanded that we play anyway, and 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 so he he made it happen, and we're on stage." As I'm plugging my guitar the first time, they tape down an entirely new set list. And this is like 20, 30-something songs long. It's crazy. And I'm freaking out. But Greg is right next to my right, and he keeps reassuring me. He's like, I'll tell you the, you know, I'll let you know the keys beforehand. If there's anything you don't know, we'll be fine. And so we get into a good groove. We're like more than halfway through the tour, or through this show. And um, I'm feeling semi-confident about how things are moving along. Everything's gone smoothly so far, and then Jackson starts introducing this next song. And um, I look down at my set list, and it just says Fountains, which I didn't know what that meant. And I turned to Greg, and I'm like, hey, so what's, uh, what's this next song? It says Fountains. And Greg, like, totally, like, his face goes pale, and he's like, you didn't learn Fountains? So no, I, I mean, I, I, he sent me so many songs to learn, I guess I, I, guess I missed one. He's like, oh, man. That's all you. That whole song is you. And it's this suddenly I'm on, it's the, it's the worst nightmare situation. I'm on stage, like, with my hero and this incredible band, and Jackson's introducing this song, and I don't know it at all. And Greg is now strapping on his jazz master. He's, like, trying to think of what key it is, you know, because he's been playing pedal steel on it for 20-something years. He's, right. So we're, we're preparing for an incident. And I'm preparing to get very fired, like immediately. And right before, like Fritz starts counting it off, and then someone in the audience yells something, and Jackson goes, "What?" And they they requested a different song, and Jackson goes, "Oh, that's a good song. Yeah, let's play that." And we we skipped it, and we didn't play it, and that saved my ass. But we, <laughs> all, I've never been more. That's the scariest moment of my entire life, and that was, you know, so yeah. learn all the songs. I guess yep. I don't know what to yeah, take. But, but but even you know even the most prepared person can make a mental mistake. I've been there where you fly in to help somebody out do a gig, and you're the fill-in guy, and they send you 
28 songs for one show and you somehow miss one and they it's don't really, play yeah. seven that you learned but they definitely play the one that you somehow missed yeah you know exactly that's how i there were so many songs that jackson had insisted that we were going to play he told me to bring certain guitars that we were definitely going to use and it was all different but that was half the fun he started calling it stump the new guy because yeah. he would try to throw a new song out there every night that he knew I didn't know. And, uh, <laughs> so he had a good time with it, but I, it took me a while to be comfortable out there. But once well, I, yeah, and he had guys who'd been with him for 20 years, so it's like he can throw whatever at them. Yeah, know? man. I mean, feeling in for Val, I mean, that's, those are big shoes. Mark, yeah. too. Mark's, there's a great video of, uh, that every guitar player should watch. I send it to people when they, when they ask, like, what a like what does a pro guitar player really look like? And it's a rehearsal of them actually doing that song, Fountains of Sorrow, and they were filming this rehearsal, or it's like a sound check. And for whatever reason, this camera is pretty much on Mark Goldenberg the entire time. But his playing, just start to finish, is so perfect. His solos are perfect, of course, but yeah. the way he responds to the vocal lines, the way he drops out and, and just fills things in, it's a master class. Yep. Everybody should check that out. Mark Goldenberg with Jackson Brown, Fountains of Sorrow. Yeah. Dude, I told Mark the other day, when I first saw him on that on a gig it was i'm alive tour and he plays that brilliant solo on i'm alive that's so simple and he was he's, i told him i'm like dude that solo was important to me as a kid and he goes you realize jackson comped that solo like i had to take it 30 <laughs> times and jump jackson comped it together and it's like i was like you just ruined it for me <laughs> i believe that he's uh he, he's uh he's known to be particular in the studio yep he has amazing ears I, i've still to this day never met anybody with ears like jackson's he hears everything nice man well, that sounds like fun and and a nightmare at the same time <laughs> exactly the best way to describe it all right let's get into uh, my 10 questions great all right number one when you first started learning and playing was there a song a lick just anything a little idea that when you when you figured it out and you got it under your fingers it really just like set the hook like oh my god i'm so proud of myself i can't believe i just got this that's it there's no turning back you know man um i think there's there's two big ones one that every guitar player goes through and it's the it's just the uh the you know that thing just the when you bend that yeah. Cause that's just on every rock and roll record ever yeah. yeah and it's just a sound that you can't really of course i'm out of tune and i sound like i've never played it before but i remember the first time i did that and that was a moment where i just felt so cool it's like unlocking a cheat code or something to my life oh, yeah. like oh my god like that thing like i don't know it, that, that was a big one i was maybe like two weeks into playing guitar and right. that blew my mind but a big one for me was finally nailing the intro to Alice's Restaurant, the Arlo okay. Guthrie tune, Fingerstyle. Because yeah. wow. he's, um, he's not recognized for his guitar playing, but Arlo Guthrie is a monster fingerstyle guitar player. Mm -hmm. He can play stuff that I, I still haven't heard a lot of. I mean, there's Buster B. Jones and there's Guy Van Duzer. There's some great fingerstyle players. That are uh, even including Arlo still alive, but um, never heard anyone play some of the stuff that Arlo does. And that intro, the you know, 
just that. But yeah. that walking down chromatic thing, those like being new at guitar in general and not understanding really theory on a, on a, on a level where chords kind of made sense and moving between, you know, ones to dominant twos to, you know, just that, just any of that language that we take for right. granted now. When I figured that out, I remember my girlfriend at the time, like playing it for her at lunch during school and and just her being proud and me feeling so proud of myself because it's like, it's just something I spent hours, I was a huge Arlo Guthrie uh, fan and there's just something about that song and, and that part that seemed like, it was one of those things that I told myself I'll never be able to do. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of things on guitar and it's so important to face these things head on. Even now I, I have to push myself through them where when you're going into learning something, it seems impossible. It's just like, I have no idea how to play this. And then when you get to the other side of it, and not only can you do it, but it's actually not not easy, but you get it, it's in your hands. That feeling, that reward is so worth it every time. And that was, a, I think that was maybe the first big one for me. That so. feeling is such, it's just the greatest feeling. When it you is. look at something from, from the beginning and you think, no way, no way I'll ever pull that off. And then, you know, a week later or whatever, or a day later even, sometimes, depending on you grow fast, it's like, holy cow, I got this, you know, and it's so gratifying. 100%, yeah. And if anything, it just makes you go further because it's like you get so inspired to know I, I, this is possible. Exactly. It's important. That's the momentum. People talk about practicing or how to practice. I'm still... You know, I go through waves of, of being good at it and being bad at it, and they want to know, well, do I practice scales? Do I practice modes? I said, whatever, to me, it's whatever is going to give you that feeling. Whatever thing yep. seems kind of, the, you know, the hardest or the furthest away, chase that, because if you if the reward you get from that is what inspires you to yep. pick it up again the next day. And, and, you know, that's the momentum you want to maintain. Yeah, the most important thing about practicing is not how many hours you practice, or what what necessarily you practice specifically it's are you practicing something that is really interesting to you and exciting because that's what keeps you motivated to continue moving forward and putting in the time yeah yep. all right number two what's the first solo you ever learned note for note oh man um let me think about that If it wasn't a Mark Knopfler thing, it was, I, I re, actually, no, I remember learning the solo from Electric Light Orchestra's Mr. Blue Sky. Wow. Because that solo is completely oddball one. It's just so melodic and cool, and it's just a, well, how does it go? I see, I haven't, like, uh, you know some whatever but it was just it just sounded cool it just was it, you know in such a you know i was really into that music and that song and i think that was it was also because it kind of it's not that it sounded easy but being where i was the guitar it's like i think i could figure that out i remember sitting on the couch in my living room and uh, just playing that over and over again. But I, that was probably the first one that once I figured it out, I just played like a hundred times that day because it just felt so good. 
That's a good one, man. I, see, see, I wouldn't have thought that that would be the one, but it does. It makes sense to me. It's incredibly melodic, but incredibly simple. It's something you could see. You'll, you'll never forget it. You'll sing it in your head forever. Exactly. Everybody can sing that song. Guitar players and non-guitar players, they can all, you know, hum that solo. And I think absolutely. Yeah, that's 100%. important. What was yeah. your, just what? I don't, what was your first solo? Uh, it was probably a BB King solo first. Um, I remember learning like live at the Regal solo from It's Your Own Fault, which was important uh -huh. to me. I remember learning Stevie solos by heart, but that came a little later. I remember Albert King, Born Under a Bad Sign. And then yeah. another one actually that was really important to me as a kid was learning ACDC, You Shook Me All Night Long. And I'll never forget it forever. I can play the entire solo right now, no problem. It's like it's stuck in my head so much, you know? Yeah. It's like that freaking, you know. Whatever, and it keeps going. But yeah, I, it, it doesn't matter. I, I'll be seventy, and I'll remember that solo note for note. You know? See, the one that I think I still like. If you ask me to play like in the moment, at any given moment, it would. Uh, the good times, bad times solo. Jimmy oh, Page. that's a good one. Yeah, that's such a good. That's still my favorite solo he does. It's the first song on their first record. It's yep. got that Leslie sound on on the solo. Exactly, <laughs> it has everything you want in a guitar solo. It's so good. That one note that they do. He pans at it from, you know, the the. It's the oh, it's it's, like I said, coming out of the mic at loud and being just like, you know. Jack White, the Edge, those guys, you know, great. They're cool, but oh my God, Jimmy Page is the coolest person on the planet. And then hearing <laughs> that solo from that song, and of course there's John Bonham's drumming on that song, which is just, that's... Un it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that it's solo their first is song on the first record, and it's it's probably my favorite Zeppelin song ever. Same, same. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, what's the first thing you play when you pick up a guitar? Do your hands just go somewhere? Mine do. You know, and you have just, that E chord you do. Yeah, all the time. With the, yeah. with the nine on top, right? Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I, I almost remember how you do it too. It sounds so good when you do it, but it, it's not that. That was terrible. Man, I'm so out of tune. You sound so good. Yeah, there it is. It I used to that. be always like something like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, mine's always going to be. Because oftentimes, if we're talking about picking up a different guitar or someone else's guitar, and you kind of are figuring out what it wants yeah. or what it feels like, yeah, really just just those, just what's ringing out. That's a good one. You know, just any just what can give me complex. What could I take away from this guitar? And then of course it'll end up being some kind of fingerstyle thing. I'm trying to think of what I do on guitar and now it's suddenly it's like I've never played guitar before when you sit down and watch TV with a guitar in your uh -huh. hand what just comes out you know without oh, thinking it's about like it. a Knopfler thing yeah. you know that's what I'm always doing right hand stuff yeah 
Because you can do, you can sit there without your left hand. You could be, you know, with the remote and just. So I'm always, you know, anything I do with my right hand. But I don't know. It's it's even just G chords. I love cowboy chords. I love. Oh yeah. Anything you could really hear what the guitar is doing and what the guitar wants. That's good. Good answer. Um, so, th so maybe you might answer this next question in there with that Mark Knopfler boogie type thing. But uh -huh. what do you what do you just hear when you're when you're cooking eggs or when you're you know in the car? <laughs> I hear a shuffle at all times. I just hear ba doom ba doom ba doom, and I hear like an improv just do 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 I can't help but hear this long string of single note swinging improvisation. Did, did you hear stuff like that all day long? I wish mine was as cool as yours, because that's that, that's having a shuffle all the time probably means your pocket's really good. Mine's <laughs> like, I'm just always thinking of like, not inversions, but just colors, colors of chords. You know, it's like just listening to, you know, something like oh, I tremble all of a sudden. Like Rachmaninoff stuff is always kind of in my head. The way he's transforming keys or transposing to different yeah emotions and you know he all those kind of movements and i'm always listening for that kind of stuff and 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 yeah. new ways someone showed me there's one recently that just was so cool and musical and simple which is actually kind of similar to that um if you're walking up sharp five everyone knows this sound it's Roy Orbison whatever yeah. to the dominant and then you can go to the four but then you do the same thing there and this is where it goes back to Rachmaninoff because your ear like you want to uh, that should be going to the relative four of that but you use your dominant the, the seven to become the third of the one again. And then, anyway, it was just this ascending, really beautiful uh, piece that I had heard, and, and the way it, melodies could play against it, and the way it could really build, and it, that was something that really, I couldn't get that out of my head for like two two weeks three weeks it was just some it was some some musically a, interesting it's a good thing to have rolling around in there all the time though i mean it, for me the last few weeks it's been something similar actually for the last few months i got sucked down the barry harris rabbit hole again on diminished <laughs> sixth so i've been just hearing eight note scales in my head quarterly all the time it's like That's what cool. i'm hearing right now yeah now is it possible can you hear your eight note scales over a blue shuffle Oh yeah, you can hear that stuff over a blue shuffle, really? but but like improvisationally wise, so I'll 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 hear it in single notes over a blue shuffle. Mm -hmm. 
So I'll replace the D with the, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll play like. So there I, I used like, you know, I used the two as a diminished chord to lead me to the to four really. And then I used uh, the flat five to get to the five. And then I used the flat six as the one. You know what I mean? That special note in, in that the Barry Harris scale or whatever. But yeah, I hear it as like a single note thing. The great thing about eight note scales is they just work out rhythmically so well. You know, That's so you, cool. Because all music is in fucking four four. So it's like, you know, it's 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 a great way to break things up. And dude, when you listen to old school jazz, like voice leading, real like intros of songs, connecting the dots, chord melody, then yeah. it's like, wow, this makes so much sense thinking that way with that eighth note scale it's like yeah but i had forgotten about it and then it popped up on my youtube you know and it was like oh yeah let me watch this again and it was like oh the next two months are gone you know yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's funny because it is that early jazz and those early players and the way they the chord melody and the chord voicings they would use that was just still so cool to me um as it was it's, before i don't it was before the guitar was given the spotlight entirely. Oh, yeah. So their solos were always a little, like those early Charlie Christian solos are all groove. It's just, yeah. it just feels so good. Well, and, and all those chords are based off of, you know, sixth chords, not major sevens. They were playing sixth chords mostly as the root chords and the tonics and things like that. And so you just ended up with basically what's so brilliant about this scale is it's just one five over and over and over again. But, you know, you're playing basically one, and then you're playing two diminished seven. And then you're playing three, but three three is really one with a five in the bass. You know what yeah. I mean? And it, yeah, it's a C6, but it's really a G7 flat nine. You know what I mean? It's like, so you're playing one five over and over again, and all of a sudden, it's eye-opening, like, wait a minute, I can work my way through the entire scale by playing just one and five over and over and over again without a lot of motion. But that's what, when you hear those brilliant, you know, intros that guys play to tunes on piano, on old school yeah. jazz, that's what they're doing. That's what it is, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, it's funny you say, because I was taught, it's, it was an Eldon Shamblin trick, actually. He talked about uh, guitar player's best friend can be broken down into a one chord and a two chord. And, you, and they're like, what do you mean by that? It's like going up a scale if you're in G, you know, and. And then you want to go up, you know, that you can go to your two, and then go to your one again, and then your two, and then your one, and then your two. And he would go all the way up, and he could do all these great solos. He's like, but I'm just doing G and A minor the whole time. And he had mm -hmm. these great, complex-sounding voicings. But yep, it's always, I know a lot of musicians, or maybe it's a stereotype that I assigned that made me intimidated by jazz early on, where I thought that jazz was about how complex you can make things and how out you know just off the wall you could get and that was intimidating and it was kind of stressful you know as a, as a young and, and, and new guitar player when I was first getting into it but it was more the more I studied and, and listened to the greats and, and, and talked to people about it it was kind of the other direction it's like how much color can we you know throw at this wall with the least amount of you know, it, it really is just a couple simple things. It's it's one or two notes that are changing that can completely change uh, the vibe or the energy of the chord. And 
so many of those chords are relative majors and minors of each other or the oh, two, yeah. you know it's it's really very uh almost compact like there's not you know there's it's yeah. very compact it's you know the thing that gets complicated is what you play when you actually land you know then you got yeah. a lot of options you can play complex shit you can go crazy but the the thing that makes what's so special is the way they're going through you know they're connecting one thing to the next with just these a mil a million variations on but basically very simple formulas the same yeah. thing Rachmaninoff is doing you know or all these guys they're creating a bridge between chords either diatonically or non-diatonically but some pleasing way and then yeah when you land on a chord as an improviser you got to know something to play but man it's all about the connection yeah 100 percent all right, number five. We talked about this already, but it's a good question. When when did you feel like you started to break away from those influences, like you said, and your voice started to come out? I mean, probably, I felt really reassured in my playing in a way that felt like it was my playing when I really started playing with Adam Levy. Uh, weekly because he was a he became a big hero of mine mm -hmm. I would come and see him play in LA and I kept trying to figure out ways to talk to him and, and, and especially play with him and so we started doing lessons and he's such a if you don't know Adam Levy he's um I mean you I mean you know him Josh but just I'm just trying to describe him it, it, he's he just has this very calming presence about him outside of the guitar but then when he plays he's just unbelievable and then there's so much energy and he's just like this buddha almost of guitar where he's so wise and, and quiet and calm but he can he, is, he says so much with his playing and that was really inspiring to me so i kind of tricked him into playing a gig with me because after a lesson i was like we should play you know music together sometime like a gig he said yeah that'd be great um so maybe like once a week he's like man the only times i have available it's like 8 30 in the morning on wednesdays Oh, that's, cra that's a crazy coincidence. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and um, but I just wanted to play with him, but that was his only slot. And he, you know, he's a talk about someone who's committed. He gets up at like five in the morning. He'll go for a walk. He'll meditate. He'll practice. He'll learn the song and he'll write something. Then he'll like take another walk, and then you know, he, he might play guitar again. He has so much time in the morning, so that you know, I Wednesday mornings I would wake up at 8.15, get in my car, still like half asleep, and get to the gig exactly on time to start playing. But by that period in time, he's already been up, he's practiced, he's really centered himself musically, he's got something he's working on. And that kind of preparedness and, and, and playing with someone on that level every week and, and in such a bizarre time of, of the day or the morning, um, kind of putting myself in, a, in an uncomfortable position I learned a lot really quickly and, and you know and, and the rules of that band were like no set lists uh like no, no nothing prepared like and no stress like we're, we're not going to worry about it we're just going to show up and we're going to play but we do uh you know we, we do have to play songs and so doing that once a week for like the last three years adam just moved to brooklyn so we're we're kind of on hiatus until otherwise um but I learned a lot from 
him and watching him play and playing with him and I would have something to kind of take away each morning after we had played and, and it was kind of through him and the confidence I would get through him that I kind of figured out what works for me, what feels confident melodically and when I kind of felt like all of my influences coming into one place because there wasn't a bunch of pedals, there weren't anybody else's songs, or, there were no professional requirements. It was just show up and, and play guitar. Right. Just you and the guitar. You know, we're in this coffee shop and a lot of the times we're playing acoustic, so we're not even being amplified very well. So it's really other, it's like the purest sense, like like a, just a basic guitar game. So there's nothing to hide behind. There was no audience to impress for the most part. Um, so it just was just, it, it was basically a lesson. It was like learning every week with Adam. And, yeah. uh, and the stuff that I learned those mornings has really influenced the way I perform at, you know, gigs or shows or sessions now, so. Yeah. I don't know. I would say, yeah, it definitely came from Adam. I owe him that. Nice, man. You know, it's it's important to state how important regularity is to kind of honing in on what you do. When you do anything regularly, but you're forced to improvise regularly in a, in a setting and, and have a sounding board next to you and you're, like, not playing exactly. what he's playing. And, and, you're going to automatically start to hone in on what worked for you because you may play the same song at least from week to week and you'll hone in on what works and it's like then you start to find your thing so i mean just just having the chance to do that is a big part of it yeah yeah i learned a lot all right number six what do you consider your biggest weakness on the guitar uh, mine is acoustic guitar prettiness like james taylor like some of the things you probably excel at but like if i can't be james taylor or you know some like really intricate arpeggiated acoustic guitar i just i clam up it's kryptonite i that's funny because that's i've heard you play acoustic and you sound great (laughs) i can solo on acoustic but if, if it's like, man, sit down and play, you know, obviously not Tommy Emmanuel, but yeah, like play something pretty that's, you know, written out maybe, like arpeggiated stuff, finger pick. Yeah. It's, it just feels like I get scared. I sweat, you know? Really? Yeah. Man, I have a lot of insecurities left to uh, challenge when it comes to the fingerboard. Not necessarily because I don't know music theory I, I know I, I like that once like this we're in it now like where I'm already <laughs> uncomfortable thinking about it but um, so much of how I play and how I learned to play came from playing by ear mm-hmm. and sometimes even to this day it's like it, I can slip into a thing where if I'm nervous or something comes up it's almost like they become two separate things my music knowledge my music theory knowledge and my playing and the more anxious i get the further those two get from each other and i start feeling <laughs> like the fingerboard is, gets more and more blank and i'm suddenly forgetting you know what like what key i'm in or or you know it's like i'm, I'm be, I become very reliant on my dots on the fingerboard uh-huh. you know as opposed to you know knowing truly you know where notes are and and 
how to get move across the fingerboard efficiently. Yeah, I still struggle with it sometimes. Like, and it's it's also just kind of the nature of how I learned to play. You know, I, I when I did the Jackson tour, it's like I had three different guitars tuned. I this one tuned a half step down. I had a, my 52 tally was in standard, and I had another one a whole step down. And what that allowed me to do was play every song in any key in like first position chords G C D yeah. E minor yeah. like, because I mean it's a big part of Jackson's music is it's it's the big chords you know and those big exactly but it also is because that's that's where I'm really comfortable like I'm I love using capos I love utilizing open strings I love letting kind of the nuances of of what you can do with these initial basic chords you could do so much and say so much and a lot of that came from what I learned from the fingerstyle stuff back then and um, so now you know if, if you know when I've suddenly gotten more than one time or more than a bunch of times I've gotten thrown into like a jazz gig and uh, I can I can lose my grip pretty quickly if I am not in the zone and, and you know sometimes I'm on it and sometimes I'm still like fuck what key are we in Right, and, right. Uh, so that Dude, I know that feeling. We've all been there, you know. Yeah. I know that feeling too. You know, I mean, yeah. Oh, man. it's crazy. Right. But I'm working on it. Yeah. Well, you sound good to me. I mean, thanks, Josh. <laughs> Dude. So, who's a huge influence on your playing that maybe people would be pretty surprised to hear? Um, I guess Green Day, maybe, but yeah. Who else? <laughs> I mean. I, Arlo Guthrie, I think, is one that people are usually shocked by, but he was a huge influence for me, um, musically and, and guitar-wise. Um, and I'll always say Mark Knopfler, and I think, pe and the surprise is less that people don't know who Mark Knopfler is, but that it's not so much Dire Straits. It's those, you know, his solo records, the record Shangri-La, like 90% oh, yeah. of what I play on guitar, I feel like comes from that record. Yeah. It's a it's a textbook example of just great guitar parts and great guitar tones it's like the whole thing is either a 54 strat or is 58 les paul like it's, and it's recorded beautifully at shangri-la studios up in malibu it's a, yep. they're great simple beautiful songs um like one of the greatest sounding strat solos ever is on this song called our shangri-la and it's just a beautiful simple single note lower string solo on a 54 stratocaster and I still go back to that to kind of reset my ears sometimes. But so it's the solo record era of Knopfler uh, that is a big influence. And then who else? Uh, Any oddball one out of left field? I was really into Adrian Lake for a while. I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah, I know that is. Yeah. Yeah, and he was cool. Um, there's an artist now who I'm obsessed with, this guy Daniel Romano, who if you asked him, in fact there was a fretboard journal interview with him where they asked Daniel like what it, guitar he used on his most recent record because the guitar sounds are so amazing and he's just like, shit I don't, I don't remember, I don't know. He's <laughs> like such not, he's not a guitar guy and he, I saw him live and it was the biggest guitar sound I've ever heard. He was just playing a basic strat into a uh, huge like 70s silver face fender stack and I went and looked at his pedal board afterwards because I'm still that guy and yeah. it was a tuner and like a boss fuzz and it sounded so good 
What's his name? See, this is somebody new to me. Daniel Romano. He's a monster songwriter. Every, you can't predict. He's released maybe like nine albums this year. He's a, he's out of control. He's, so he's prolific then. <laughs> yeah. He's one of those guys. Self-produces, self-records. Every album sounds different than the other. You don't know what he's going to do next. He's too cool. You know, he can't All tell right. you what guitar he used on his records. He's a big one. If I think of anybody else, I mean, Roy Smet, right. maybe. I don't know if that's a big oh, one for people. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, he, that's a good one. Yeah. Big Bill Brunsby? I don't know. Yeah, well, you listen to good stuff. And you you don't, you don't, uh, you know, you don't, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. You don't pigeonhole yourself. You listen to everything. I try. But I think a funnier, maybe a funnier way to answer the question is, is like, I think people would be surprised to hear some of the guys I've still never, like I've still never transcribed a Hendrix solo. And I feel really bad saying that. And I especially feel bad saying that to you. That's, but... See, that's shocking to me. Shocking. But yet, you are not alone. I know other guitar players who have just completely just skipped it. I don't yeah. understand it, but I do. I know the other guys like that. I, mean, it's, I went deep into Freddie King. I went deep into Albert Collins changed my life. And then you get into guys like Junior Kimbrough, and you get into guys, uh, uh, man... Hound Dog Taylor was huge. All of the guys that Hendrix loved too, I loved. And for, but there just wasn't. A, I was so busy doing fingerstyle stuff. I was so learning, obsessing with Chet stuff or Mississippi John Hurt. I just never. Um, I don't know. I like. I'm still not. Th I think I'll get there. I think the Hendrix phase will hit me, and then I'll have to call all you guys up and apologize. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just. I can thank my dad for Hendrix. I mean, my dad's not a musician. But he just, you know, that's his era. So the records we heard in my house all the time were Hendrix and the Stones and the Beatles and, you know, Clapton and Cream and, you know, Almond Brothers. But Hendrix was really big. He was, a, and he is a big Hendrix fan. And yeah, he just tripped me out the first time I, I'm probably five years old or something when I remember hearing Purple Haze and registering. What's that? You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And Hendrix is talking to guys like like i just said about the generations hendrix has been with by far the biggest answer to the question like of guys before our generation why'd they start playing guitar oh it's beatles or hendrix you know what i mean it's yeah. always one of those two things yeah it's funny i promise i'm gonna i'm gonna learn a hendrix solo really soon all right <laughs> okay man here's a gear question okay would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa. Great amp. Yeah. No question. Yeah, I'm with you 100. percent Yeah, having a good that's because that's what people are really hearing is the amp. Yep. And you can make if you have a shitty guitar, that's just fun. You can make a shitty guitar. I mean, how many great records were made with guys playing like Tyscos or real silver, weird silver tones like? Yep. You know. Uh, so to me, I'd rather have an amp that I trust and know sounds great. Because then you can have all the fun. Just try uh, half of my most recorded guitars in my session like racket over here are really bad guitars but yeah. they sound super cool when you record them so but i, yeah. I i'm a full believer in good amps i'm 100 percent with you but we've been split down the middle 50 50 almost really what did val say uh he said guitar wow yeah Shit. He said guitar. A lot of guys have said guitar, saying they need to be comfortable and, and have, you know, this this ability to play all the things that they play. 
and it, it's more about the guitar for them. And for me, it's it's the opposite. I, I know I'll give a better performance with an amp and a rig that I can can be comfortable on with any guitar than, than if I had my guitar and some solid state great exactly. or something. You'll get a bad show out of that rig. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yep. All right, cool. Well, we're on the same page. Good. I'm glad we're still friends. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, number nine, what keeps you pushing forward? Is it just that you love this thing so much, but or or is there something that makes you keep working on new things? You know, I, I'm super obsessed with being better tomorrow than today. But what, what keeps you pushing like that what 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 are you looking for where are you going some sometimes i think i've got like a deep cause or drive and it's like what fuels everything and then sometimes i think like maybe i'm just not that uh bright and i can't operate beyond like i just i've turned my brain into one guitar machine like that's just all my brain can do now is think about guitars so maybe i've just rewired myself to the point that that's like the only way i can see forward is with a guitar in my hands but okay. you know but if it's not that we can put that aside maybe it truly is that I, I i just i mean like i said when i that feeling i had when i first picked it up that morning not only do i still feel that way about guitar but it's still that feels like it was yesterday like it just it it's made my life so I love what I get to do. I wake up being so stoked to be a guitar player because I was such a huge uh, nerd and and not really a you know there was there were kids in school that I definitely thought were cool and other people thought were cool and I understood that I was not one of them and guitar to me was something that was cool you know and only cool people did leather jackets and that whole thing and so I felt like when guitar hit me and, and we I had this connection with it. It just was reassuring, and it, and it kind of was like, man, guitar isn't a, you know, guitar is what you make it, and and I could do what I want with this, and it just, it just felt so invited to it, and and like, just bonded, and I still feel that way. I just, I'm just so in love with guitar, and the more I've gotten obsessed with it and dug into the history, the people who made, you know, spent years obsessing about Leo and. Freddie Tavares and all those guys, early guys at Fender, and then Ted McCarty and all the important guys at Gibson and what they did. The history just gets cooler and cooler. The more you learn about it, the more the stories are just unbelievable. I've been digging into Japanese guitar history recently, and there's the stories for that are unbelievable. So it's just, to me, it's just a gift that keeps on giving. And yep. um, so I, I will always love guitar. I definitely, and especially with what's going on in the world right now and being you know hold up most of this year it's challenged a lot of how i feel in terms of like i love guitar but man does uh does the does do people need to hear it do people need to hear me play guitar there's so many great guitar players you know out there and do i you know am i really contributing to the cause or am i just a, the world's biggest fan you know and i i went through three months where i like was kind of playing but not and I was just drawing a ton um, kind of trying to figure out if I wanted to still play or if I should still play or if maybe people heard enough of me and uh, and then I came out the other side of that really excited about guitar in a different way and, and 
finding new things to explore on it and so at this point I kind of just have a like an agreement with the guitar or maybe with myself <laughs> but where it's just like I trust you I trust we're in this together it's like I said this is a marriage you know I'm in oh, dude absolutely we're just gonna do this and wherever it takes you know I, I, I'm really happy with guitar and it's I yep. there's a lot of people who I think are still trying to find their thing or, or maybe spend their whole life finding their thing and I feel lucky that I've had this for as long as I've had and that I've yeah. been able to make a career out of it so Dude, it's a it's a lucky definitely a lucky thing to have found your purpose that's such yeah. a young, I, I feel thankful for it every day I mean exactly. I got this thing when I was three years old you know and it's like it's been my purpose ever since and so my personality is I, I I'm gonna always be working hard because I, I want to be if I do something, I want to be as good as I can be at it. And I, so I'm pushing at it. But then the other side of it is I almost feel like a duty to this guitar, like I owe it to the guitar because the, to put as much effort as I can because the guitar is directly responsible for all the good things in my life, literally yeah. all of it. I yeah. wouldn't have my wife, which means I wouldn't have my son. I wouldn't have my house. I wouldn't have my friends i wouldn't have you know it's like it's directly tied to everything great in my life so i i owe it all of my effort you're yeah that's yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more that's that really strikes the chord no pun intended of, of the feeling <laughs> exactly <laughs> Just like man i've built my life around this and it's only been great like yeah um I remember someone was asking me, we were, my, oh, it was my girlfriend, we were talking about the Wrecking Crew, you know, and those guys were the coolest, Tommy Tedesco, that whole group, legends, and they made tons of money, you know, yeah. Yeah. and my girlfriend was like, aren't you, does it make you feel, I don't know, bitter or something, that like people doing your same job, you know, a few decades ago were, were just rolling in it, and you know, 2020, here we are, and it's maybe slightly, <laughs> guitar's not maybe as lucrative and I I still feel like I think it's the same I think I mean I think it's relative I think to be a guitar player to be a professional musician to make any money at all at it to have a career where people respect you and like that thing you're saying earlier where they call you because they want you to play they, they don't just need the chameleon they want your sound it's like I feel like I'll take it relatively you know it's like yeah. uh, you know, maybe financially isn't the same, but the reward yeah. to me is the same. And I, I, I still, I feel so lucky, and I love it. And yeah, I'll never, I'll, I'm gonna be playing guitar for a while. Yeah, and we're not saying we don't want to make money. We want money. We no, want good that's, gigs. Yeah, but you should the royal you should pay yeah. more. Yeah. But we'd be doing it anyways. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that leads me to number ten then. Where do you want to be in five years? Is it just keeping on, keeping on, or is it growing greatly? You got a goal in mind. You have somewhere you're trying to reach. Something maybe as an artist, something as a side man. Where, where are you? Where are you headed, man? That's a tough question. A friend asked me that. Right, you know Ryan Lerman, a guitar uh -huh, player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was asking me that earlier. Ryan is a hero to me in, in that he is five-year plan, ten-year plan, that guy is so... He's a very motivated and driven individual. Yeah, and it's worked for him. And uh, yeah. it's very impressive to see what he's pulled off with scary pockets and 
the artist that he's indeed in tour with. He's very yep. you know, driven, and he always pressures me when I'm in my moments of doubt or trying to figure out what I'm doing. He asks that same question: What do you want to be in five years? And at this point, like I've I've kind of categorized it where it's like, okay, if it's if I can be in a band, you know, long term, I would love that. I would love just to be the Lindsey Buckingham of a Fleetwood Mac, you know, how cool would that be? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, Jimmy, what I, what Jimmy Page being a session musician is what motivated me to do it. The idea that like, oh, well, he went and built all these relationships and he developed himself as a player. And then when the time was right, like he put together this great band and there's still parts of me that love that and love that idea of like, man, being in a band sounds super cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I can compartmentalize that into like I would love to be in a band, but I will say when I'm like in the studio, um, on a great like working on a really cool project that I'm excited about, you know, with with an artist and with people in the room that that's that are all there and we're really just throwing ideas out there and, and just coming up with new sounds and you hear it back you you go to try something in the room and you hear it back in the monitors and it sounds huge and like that feeling when you're in it any all those nights that where the phone wasn't ringing or you weren't sure what you were going to do or do i want to be in a band or like all of that melts away and you just sort of the only thought that's there while you're listening back to all this stuff is man i love what i get to do and i love this yeah so i i do plan and i'm working on releasing an album of of, of songs um on my own mostly for the sake of doing it just to kind of check that off and see what that feels like and pursue that. Right. I would love to be in a band, but if I really knew what I had a plan, I, I, I'd tell you. But ultimately, it's just chasing that feeling. It's just chasing that, that moment in the studio where things just, time kind of goes away and all you can think about is how great this song is or how cool it is to be here. Yeah. Studio coffee, nothing tastes better than coffee <laughs> in the studio, you know? Yeah, yeah, Studio, I mean, you know, it's a great feeling when when you you walk into the control room after a take that you already know is the one. Yeah. And that that it comes up on the on the mains and you're like, yeah. yeah this was you know, there is magic in this. There's magic. 100%. And so yeah, I'm I'm still developing a 5-year plan or a 10-year plan, but All right. All right. I mean, if I had told if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I, you know, wouldn't have even dreamed that I would get to do some of the things that I've done now. You know, yeah, I, would absolutely. I remember when I was 17 or 18 and I made a goals list at the time. And one of the goals I wrote down was by the time I'm 30, I want to play in, you know, a band, not a famous band, not like a known band, but just to get, convince any group of guys who have bass and drums and a microphone to like, let me play with them. If I could do that by the time I'm 30, that's going to be great. So I'm 29 now, and, I, and I've done so much more than I thought I could. So I'm hoping that five years from now, I'm doing more than I, you know, nice. hoped I could, you know, sitting here now. So stay we'll tuned. See. It's a good attitude to have, man. <laughs> we'll see. All right. All right. So thank you. Uh, members, thank you for watching. And if you're not a member, hit join here because there's going to be a video after this. Where Mason and I teach you a couple licks, we're gonna we're gonna get to the essence of the Mason Stoop sound.
<laughs> so oh, think man. about what you want to play. <laughs> but anyways, thank you, dude, for doing this. It's a pleasure talking to you and being your friend. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. No, Josh, you're a, you're, you're a hero of mine. And it's, you know, it's an honor to be here and talk to you about the things that you and I would be talking about anyway. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I figured I talk about this stuff all day long anyways. Might as well do it and try to try to get some some uh, you know some something you know whatever some something out of it who knows maybe other people will enjoy it 